Welcome to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. DNL Window Tinting, we put the shades on the sun. Everybody, I'm Paul Valley. Thanks for joining us again this week. And this week is going to be a little bit different because I'm going to go on a couple of rants here. So bear with me because it, it, it might not be pretty. A couple of things really upset me. First and foremost, our city of Baltimore has been being attacked, whether on the political side or on the sports side, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I, for one, would like to strike back, not on politics, that's not what this show is about, and that's not something I want to get into. But the first person I want to clap back at is Steve Phillips. He called Stevie Wilkerson picking up the save the other day completely inappropriate, said the ends doesn't justify the means. He thought it was embarrassing, and, it said, and he said that Brandon Hyde should have gone with the next day's starter like the Angels did. Well, first and foremost... Why is this embarrassing? The Orioles have one of the worst records in baseball. They were the worst team in baseball last year, and they're out there trying to win a ball game. You win by any means necessary. I don't care if, to Steve Phillips, the, end doesn't ju the ends don't justify the means. We're not thinking about you, Steve Phillips. We're thinking about the Baltimore Orioles winning a baseball game. Uh, if, if you think it's embarrassing, I don't understand how it's embarrassing. It's more embarrassing for the hitters that couldn't hit a 54-mile-an-hour EFIS pitch, no, the, despite the fact that they saw 14 of them. They couldn't touch it with any kind of authority. It's embarrassing for them. It's not embarrassing for the Orioles, who are a gelled and cohesive unit. Even though they don't play well, they play for each other, and they love each other. It's clear as day that they are a really together group. These guys were happy for Stevie Wilkerson after he got, after he got that that save, you said later in your rant about the about using Wilkerson that it, it makes the players feel like their efforts were wasted because you have a position player going into pitch to get the save. How? One, they won the game. Two, in the clubhouse afterwards, they gave him a beer shower and a bunch of other things that they showered him with, all smiles. I don't see how that's embarrassing at all. Uh, another thing that you said, Steve Phillips, is that MLB needs to take a look at this because this sort of thing can't happen. Well, MLB did take a look at it, and guess what? They shipped off Stevie Wilkerson's hat and the baseball from the game to Cooperstown. So Wilkerson's performance got him in Cooperstown, probably the only way as a player that he's going to get in there without a ticket. So I'm sure that Major League Baseball feels the same way that you do, tongue-in-cheek, about the Orioles and Stevie Wilkerson getting that save. Another thing that you said is, as a GM, you would feel like you failed a position player you, you failed the team if a position player had to pitch. Well, Steve, last time I checked, you, did, you were a GM and you did fail back in 2003 when you were fired by the Mets. And guess what? You haven't held a position as a general manager since. So who's failing here? Uh, moving on to my next rant because I know Steve Phillips isn't going to listen to this show, but I had to get it off my chest. Uh, I'm going to talk about Thomas Boswell, and he wrote an article for the Washington Post the other day denigrating the idea of rebuilding, calling it dumb, stupid, and disgraceful at different points in the article while intimating that the notion of a rebuild is insane. Basically what he said was that teams with aging players that are fringe playoff teams should hold on to those aging players instead of tearing the team down so they can gain sustainable success for the long term. Uh, he used the Orioles as an example uh, said that the Orioles in the late 80s started a rebuild and have only won 90 games three times in the 30 years since then. Well, the late 80s Orioles never fully came out and said that they were rebuilding, but they did post winning seasons in 89, 92, 93, 94, 96, 
and 97, including that wire-to-wire AL East Championship in 97 and back-to-back ALCS Championship runs. So I'm pretty sure that what they did in the late 80s worked out. You want to talk about the 14 years of losing that the Orioles had? Yeah, that was a downtime for the franchise. That was the dark ages for the Baltimore Orioles. They ignored starting pitching. They had no plan whatsoever. Sid Thrift complained that it felt like they were using Confederate money trying to get free agents to come to Baltimore. Fine, if if you want to downplay the Orioles' efforts now because of that, more power to you, but that doesn't really hold water in your argument. You also say, again, going back to my previous point where you were saying that the the teams with aging veterans should hold on to them so they can try and make a playoff push, and that the Orioles are doing the exact opposite of that. Um, What happened in 2018? The Orioles went out there and they made a push for a final playoff run with their core players. They didn't trade Manny Machado or Zach Britton or Brad Brock or Adam Jones in the offseason because they wanted to make one last run. They went out and signed Alex Cobb. They signed Andrew Cashner. They signed Chris Tillman to try and get this team to make a playoff push before everybody was gone. And it just didn't work out. They did basically what you're saying that these teams need to do. The problem here is it didn't work. They won 48 games. They lost, I'm sorry, 47 games. They lost 115 games. Sometimes, man, just like you have to break an omelet, break, break some eggs to make an omelet, you have to tear down a Memorial Stadium to get a Camden Yards. Your mindset is more so for big cities like the New York Yankees or the L.A. Dodgers or the Chicago Cubs. In a smaller market, you can't just keep buying free agents. When the time comes, you have to tear the team down. You have to start from scratch. The Orioles had no presence in the international market. They had no presence in analytics. Now they have guys who specialize in player development, guys who specialize in analytics like Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde and Sig Dell. And they're doing things the right way for the first time in my lifetime for the Baltimore Orioles. And look, nobody likes tanking. Losing sucks, we can all admit it. But right now, the bigger, it's about a bigger picture that's getting clearer as we go day by day, week by week, and month by month. The Orioles have jumped from 22, for the, the 22nd best or 8th worst farm system in baseball to the 8th best system in baseball in the first four months of the first year of the rebuild. You look at their minor league system. They have from the Gulf Coast League to Bowie. Of those five teams, four of them are in first place. And while all of this has been going on, the big league team just finished their first non-losing month in the last two years. We're ta- we have to go all the way back to August 2017 to find a month where the Orioles didn't post a losing record. They've won 14 of 26 games, and 21 of those games were against teams with playoff aspirations, including... Series wins over Boston, Cleveland, and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. So you can have all the sourry grapes you want, Mr. Boswell. Take them all, because I'm pretty sure we're doing just fine over here in Birdland. With that in mind, we're going to kick it over to our sponsor, DNL Window Tinting. When we come back from the break, we're going to have Adam Paul, uh, the director of broadcasting for the Bowie Bay Sox, and also the longest tenured minor league broadpa- broadcaster within the Orioles organization. He's going to join us after the break. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. 
Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch. Once again, I'm Paul Valley, and joining us now is a director of broadcasting for the Bowie Bay Sox and the longest-tenured minor league broadcaster in the Baltimore Orioles organization, Adam Pohl. Adam, how are you doing today, man? I got some gray in my beard, Paul. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know what, Paul? I got to tell you a quick minor league story. We we uh, when I used to work at Frederick, uh, there were two Adams when I started. So everybody and I'm from a military family, so everybody would call me Pole over the walkie. And then after my first year, that other Adam left, and we hired a guy named Paul. And everybody would try to reach out to reach out, you know, reach me, and they'd say go for Pole, and then Paul would be like, hey, Paul, you know, it was just it was a whole mess. So just be happy. Uh, I guess I'm happy that I don't have your first name. Yeah, I know, right? So, uh, yeah, we'll just call you Adam here so we can get away from that Paul Paul controversy there. So, Adam, we were just talking about how uh, the Orioles' minor league system, from the Gulf Coast League to uh, up to Bowie, of those five teams in that little sect, four of them are in first place, including the Bowie Bay Sox, who are 29-10 and 10 in the second half of the season, leading the Eastern League division. Uh, talk to us about Bowie. What's going on there? They, they have uh, the top three ERAs in the entire Eastern League in that rotation, all big lefties. Yeah, so, so it's been really an exciting run here for the Bay Sox, really since the beginning of June. You, you could even go back to the first week of May when the team kind of turned it around after a, a really rough start. Um, uh, one thing that uh, I've noticed in the organization this year is that the top prospects in the system are not as highly rated uh, as they have been at other times in the last decade or decade plus. So you don't have a guy uh, that's like a Manny Machado or that was rated as highly as a Dylan Bundy, uh, you know, the, in the system right now or a Matt Wieters. But in the same regard, you have so much more of a depth of prospects. So the number one guy might not be as high, but the number 15 guy is a much better player uh, than what we've seen in the Orioles organization in the past. And, and that affects wins and losses. There's just a, a more of a depth of player. The Bay Sox are usually a team that's on the older side. The average double-A player is 24 years old. Usually Bowie's uh, average age is around 25. And this year, the average age for the Bay Sox is 23. So not only are the Bay Sox winning – but they're doing it with young players. And that means those are guys uh, that have a good chance to go up and, and uh, become pretty good Baltimore Orioles players. And the starting rotation really stands out. Uh, the three lefties you're speaking of, uh, Zach Lowther, a second-round draft choice in 2017 out of Xavier. Uh, he's a big high spin rate guy, so he throws a fastball. Um, 89 to 91 miles an hour, but boy, guys have a tough time uh, in squaring it up, and he's had great success at every stop in the minor league system. Alex Wells is going to be very interesting to see if his game can play at the highest level of the game. 
Uh, he's got incredible command of his pitches. Uh, he can really spin a curveball and put it wherever he wants. And uh, awesome fastball command. Uh, right now, he is the best ERA in the Eastern League. Uh, but he's a guy that's very rarely. I mean, if he throws 85 pitches in a start, maybe four or five of them touch 90 miles an hour. And then the other one would be Bruce Zimmerman, who just got called up to AAA Norfolk. He made his uh, Tides debut on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Zimmerman's a local product, and his velocity is spiked a little bit here this year. So instead of 90 or 91, he's been more of a, a 92 or 93 mile an hour guy with his fastball this season. And, and he probably has the best changeup of that whole group. So three exciting young lefties. And, um, uh, you know, we'll see uh, which one or two can, can break through and become really good Orioles. Well, yeah, and I, I like what you said about Alex Wells, because if you didn't say it, I would have. This is a guy who, um, even in his worst year, his ERA was still at around three and a half. He's a guy coming out of Australia. Actually, he has a twin brother who's also a left-handed pitcher pitching in the minor league in the minor leagues, not in the Orioles system. But uh, so that's I didn't actually know that till last week when they both threw six inning shutouts on the same day. But uh, but the thing about Alex Wells is he's very much a locate your pitches kind of guy. He can he hits his spots. He doesn't top out high with his fastball. He's got a got a solid curveball. But this is a guy who can put the ball wherever he wants, and that's why he's had success. He has never failed, really, at the minor league level. And I'm interested to see what he can do once he reaches Norfolk and starts using, using the same ball they use in the major leagues. And then, you know, hopefully see what happens if he ever gets to Baltimore. And the way things are going, he should, right? I think so. You know, he's been young for every level he's pitched at, and he's been an all-star every professional season that he's worked. Uh, he was the Orioles' 2017 minor league pitcher of the year when he had a great season in Delmarva. Uh, he pitched in the 2018 Futures game when he was with Frederick, and he's got a chance to be the Eastern League Pitcher of the Year this season, along with the Orioles' minor league pitcher of the year. I mean, there's a lot of guys that, that can be uh, in line for that, but Wells is on the short list. So he's an exciting young prospect, obviously has to do it a little bit of a different way he has the best command of his fastball uh, for an Orioles minor league pitcher uh, since Zach Davies you know Davies was a lean right-hander threw a little bit harder uh, but you know you looked at Davies he looked like he was a 14 year old kid and and again is this guy thing really going to work in the major leagues and look what he's doing in Milwaukee you know the Orioles traded him for not much and, and he has really thrived in two of the last three seasons in the major leagues so you know, Wells, uh, the velocity is an issue. That's the reason why he's not rated as a top 10 prospect in the Orioles system is because his fastball is generally 86 to 88 miles an hour, and he'll touch 90 and 91 at times. But, uh, but boy, what, what you see is that he works extremely fast. He's always ahead in the count. And hitters... Uh, he just never has to give in to hitters. You know, he's never down the count 2-0. and He's always up 0-2. And what ends up happening is that second time through the order, guys start swinging first pitch, and he's putting a ball on the outside corner, and then a guy's just, like, reaching out and flicking it, and he's getting outs in one or two pitches, and it allows him, therefore, to get deep in the game as well. So it's something. He's an early contact guy. He is a bit of a fly ball pitcher, and that is a worry in that regard. But the crazy thing is he's allowed two home runs all year. And in the Eastern League, Bowie is a little bit more of a, a home run prone ballpark. Uh, so it's really incredible. I mean, he had allowed more than 15 home runs in each of the last two years. And here we are with a month left in the season. Um, and, and he's allowed two home runs all year. Well, yeah. And I think that that's something the fans really want to hear. It sounds like he's a lefty that's keeping guys off balance. Um, what fans need to be wary of is the fact that there is a different baseball, that 
is widely regarded as being juiced, that they're using it to AAA and major league levels. So don't be surprised if Wells' uh, Wells' home run counts go up. But I think that's just the name of the game when you move up to those leagues that are using that baseball. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, Paul, it, it's, it's frustrating. I Me mean, as a baseball fan, uh, you know, I, I, I really think the double-A game is a better game to watch. I mean, you know, uh, the average Bay Sox game is two and a half hours. The average Eastern League game is two hours and 37 minutes. Uh, we've got a pitch clock and a baseball that plays as the baseball is played uh, for the majority of the time in the history of the game. And you juice the baseball up, you have these crazy home run numbers the games are three hours and 10 minutes long on average uh you've got a lot more runs mean you've got way more games that are blowouts and uh, and that you have less strategy of the game it just seems like it's it's all about just like okay who can hit more home runs and i know that obviously as an oriole fan uh lifelong it was a lot of fun to watch that last uh, era of orioles baseball where that was kind of the style that the baltimore played but you know, I, I think that uh, if Major League Baseball is able to deaden the ball a little bit and, in essence, just use the ball uh, that we're using here at AA and lower, it's going to be a, a much better product. Uh, I absolutely agree. And you actually commented on one of my tweets on Twitter the other day. I went to the uh, Ironbirds game on Sunday to see Adley Rutschman's catching debut for the Ironbirds. He had debuted as DH the day before. Um, that game started at 4.05. The Orioles game out in Anaheim, Eastern time started at 3.40. The Ironbirds game ended an hour before the Orioles game ended, and the Orioles game started 25 minutes earlier. Right. Yeah, and Major League Baseball is going to have more time in between innings because of commercials and such, but they could even change that. I mean, they could trim 30 seconds off uh, in between innings if they wanted to and, and do more of their commercial time, uh, you know, being kind of like how soccer does commercials, you know, putting putting ads in the midst of the broadcast, you know, on your screen when it's happening. And I know they're starting to trend to do more of that. I think that's the way that this is going. Uh, but uh, but look, I, I mean, I, I feel this way about college football, too. You know, they stop they stop the clock ever after every first down. And a college football game is four hours and 10 minutes. I'd much rather, I'm a much bigger college basketball fan. And you know that when you watch a college basketball game, it's going to be two hours, two hours and 15 minutes. And it's exciting. And, and uh, I just think that baseball needs to find a way to move in that direction. Right. And I think that they're trying to take steps. The steps that they're taking, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of. Like next year, they're implementing a uh, relief pitcher has to face at least three batters. I think that's terrible for the game. But you know, they, they have guys that are paid much higher than I am who are much more qualified than myself to do these things. So, you know, I'm still going to watch the game. I just may not agree with everything that they're doing. But uh, Yeah, agreed, agreed. But, you know, hopefully I, I think it's something that I would not be surprised if you see the pitch clock uh, in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, the, if you see that uh, coming in, in the next uh, few years, along with uh, what we just talked about with the baseball itself uh, to, to try to regulate. Because this season in AAA, it's unbelievable. I was talking to Ian Locke, who's the head of PR for the Norfolk Tides, and the Tides had as many home runs in a Norfolk Tides game uh, in their 68th game of the year in 2019 as they had in all 140 games last year. That's insane. 
That's insane. That's 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 what half the season. It's exact. Yeah, it's unbelievable. That's that's absolutely insane. And I do think that there's going to be a pitch clock implemented in Major League Baseball at some point because they already have the clocks in place in the stadiums. You see them counting down from 30 after every pitch. Uh, so I think that that's something that's definitely coming. It's just a matter of when. So mo- moving forward, you were talking. We were talking about the juice baseballs at, at the AAA level and in the major leagues. Um, and the only way that you can combat all those home runs is good pitching, right? So the Orioles pitching is up across the board, you know, with the exception of Norfolk. Um, Norfolk doesn't have great pitching, um, but every other level, the pitching has been flourishing. Uh, and you mentioned analytics when we talked before the show through text message. Uh, what kind of analytics are they using at Bowie and throughout the minor league system so that these pitchers can get better and combat these high home run totals? Well, you know, obviously, I, I think that um, the uh, advances, uh, Norfolk has had a terrible year on the mound. Even though Keegan Aiken, their top pitching prospect, has had a very good season, and, and he'll probably be in the Orioles rotation at some point next year. But uh, but you look at that from Bowie down, and the reality is that it's twofold as to uh, why Oriole minor league pitchers are having more success. Uh, the number one reason is because the Orioles from the 2016 to 18 season, they drafted almost exclusively pitching in the top 10 rounds of the draft. I mean, it's unbelievable when you look back at it and uh, it's starting to really pay dividends now. And, uh, and also even with the trades last year, they brought in 15 players via trades, uh, you know, in the month of July last season. And so many of them have, let's just even put it to Bowie, have made an influence and an impact in Bowie this year. We just, we talked about one Bruce Zimmerman, the left-hander down in Norfolk. He was in the Gosman trade. Dylan Tate's now in Baltimore. He's been really big in the Bay Sox bullpen. Uh, he is, he was the main guy in the Zach Britton trade. Uh, Dean Kramer's been a really good pitcher here, uh, along with Zach Pop, who's now injured. But those, both those guys were in the Machado deal. So you go down the list, and, and trades have also bulked up uh, the rotational depth uh, in the organization. But um, uh, with that being said, uh, they're doing new things this year. Uh, you know, if you read the book Astro Ball, uh, you'll learn a little bit of, uh, about some of these things they're doing. But when they talk about uh, analytical thinking, really, uh, it has affected uh, our pitchers in the minor leagues much more than our hitters. So our pitchers, they're using a very high rate cameras. Uh, everything they're doing when they throw their bullpens, they've got this camera behind them. You might have seen it in spring training and uh, they're able to almost microscopically look at, okay, how are you gripping this pitch? Uh, What arm angle are you coming at? And to try to keep guys in line so they don't fall into bad habits or maybe even find something, uh, a little tweak that could make them better. The uh, second angle, though, is very interesting, I think, and a lot of this is more proprietary, uh, you know, info. But in essence, uh, you know, when I started in the minor leagues more than a decade ago, uh, there really wasn't that much scouting that went into the game at the minor league level. There was no video used, things like that. Now that's got a complete 180. I mean, even last year, prior to the Elias regime, there was a lot of information that was being given to these minor league guys, spray charts, and and they were able to look at video and things like that. But now they have a game plan for every pitcher on, okay, I'm a right-handed pitcher and I have this pitch mix, so this is how I should attack right-handed hitters uh, and uh, it, it, vice versa, right? 
and it really has helped in uh, moving strikeout numbers up in the organization. And in essence, I don't want to dumb it down too much because there's a lot to it, but we're seeing Orioles minor league pitchers throw a lot more high fastballs late in counts. I think you're seeing that throughout baseball in general, but you're seeing a lot of two-strike letter high fastballs. Uh, They're changing the eye level a lot more where the last regime uh, in pitching philosophy was always keep the ball down, keep the ball down, keep the ball down. And by going down, getting ahead, and then climbing the ladder uh, to get that strikeout, we're seeing a lot of that. Well, and I think that there's something to that because my whole life I've always noticed and I've always thought because I've, I've pitched when I've played baseball in my lifetime, I've noticed you're going to get guys who, who are more likely to chase with two strikes because they're trying to protect the plate. And if they're throwing, if they're throwing a letters-high fastball at any speed, that thing is going to look like a beach ball. And they're going to they're go after it. And I don't care who you are, especially in the era of the launch angle and the uppercut swing, you're not catching a, a letters high fastball with an, upper, with an uppercut swing. So it's, it's a good, exactly. it's a great method to get guys out. And I'm surprised that it took this long to implement that. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing it. It's, it's all about power in every aspect of the game of baseball. And for pitchers, that power is about the strikeouts. So uh, Bruce Zimmerman's a good example. We've talked about him here. And for Zimmerman, I mean, he is a guy that, uh, uh, that basically was a sinker slider guy. He was a two-seam fastball guy almost exclusively. And this year that changed. Uh, and, you, and you're starting to see him throw a lot of four-seam fastballs and especially late in counts, four-seam fastballs up in the zone. So, um, you know, it, it's really interesting. And for the hitters, they're using these blast motion sensors uh, that now that we're near the latter portions of the season, they've had enough swings with them that they're starting to accumulate the data and start to move that in uh, and, and be able to kind of refine bat path and just say, hey, look, you're doing this, you should be doing that. Uh, but really, when you look at it as far as instruction is considered and development, uh, probably the analytical aspects uh, of what this Elias regime has brought to the table has affected pitching uh, more than hitting. Uh, and, and that is just in, in how they're working with players they've already acquired. Because what we saw in, in this year's draft is that uh, a lot of these analytical methods that the Orioles are implementing, it, it, it really went a long ways towards not only uh, or, or towards who they drafted, uh, not just towards, um, you know, picking guys uh, through an old school scouting uh, method and then trying to use these methods to make those players better. Well, yeah, and it's definitely something that you're happy to see finally happen in this organization because for so long, whether they did it intentionally or not, it seemed like the Orioles' front office, no matter who was in charge, completely ignored, <clears throat> completely ignored starting pitching. And finally, you have a regime in place that's really analytics-based with Sigma Dell and Mike Elias, and they're putting the emphasis on the pitching at the minor league levels. And, they're, and it's, a, it's another important thing is that it's an organizational-wide movement rather than just at one level. A lot of times in the past, this organization had different things being taught at different levels of the minor leagues. Every minor league team is teaching the same thing throughout the organization. Yeah, that's what that's what you hope to have happen. So it's going to be really interesting to see because, in essence, a lot of the uh, coaches – 
that have been, you know, throughout the system are, are very similar. And there, there are people that, of course, I'm very close to uh, that have been in this organization for a long time. So they've had to adapt their methods a little bit. But, I mean, the, the nature of the beast is that, that um, I feel like a lot of uh, the coaches within the Orioles minor league system, you know, got an unfair bad rap. Uh, in the past, and um, and and now uh, they're kind of being lauded for how good they're doing uh, when they're they're the same people, <laughs> you know. So so it's going to be very interesting to see though uh, how much change happens uh, in the development staffs of teams. Uh, I'm of course hoping that there's not that much, but uh, there's a chance that there could be some changes, uh, you know, at, at these different levels uh, come next year because obviously they're going to try to bring in the people that they believe can teach these methods uh, the best way. But I'm telling you, uh, at least of course here in Bowie, we've got we've got an outstanding staff here, uh, and uh, I think that they have really shown it because the Bay Sox are a team that started out so poorly, and and whenever you have a team. Uh, that with almost in essence the exact same club that that goes in essence from worst to first within the same year it, it says a lot about uh, how good your staff is well yeah and, and hopefully they can take that microcosm and expand it out over the long term and Adam, I know that you told me you only had about 15 minutes. We've already gone over 20, but I do have one last. That's all right. No worries. No worries. I do have uh, one last question before we let you go here. Um, there was an article written in the Washington Post uh, recently by Thomas Boswell, uh, talk basically just completely bashing the whole idea of rebuilding a ball club. Uh, and he used the, the Orioles from 1988 through now as an example, saying they've only won, that they started rebuilding in 80, in 88, and they've only won 90 games three times since then. And I just thought that the entire, did you have a chance to read the article first and foremost? No, I, I love uh, Boswell. It's kind of weird though, because Boswell's a big Nats guy. And obviously the Nationals, uh, you know, it wasn't talked about in that way, but they did exactly this. You know, they had the number one pick in consecutive years. Uh, and in three straight drafts, they basically took, Harper, Strasburg, and then I, I think it was the next year they took Anthony Rendon with a sixth pick. So, uh, you know, w w but but let's let's bring it to the Orioles. Uh, what I'm excited about about the Orioles is that it seems to me that this new structure and way forward is actually a way that can have sustainable success. And in essence, the way the Orioles were operating uh, in the prior. Uh, you know, and the prior ethos per se. And to be honest, it's not something that I don't think Dan Duquette wanted to do this. It was almost forced upon him. Uh, they've been able to change the mindset of ownership. Uh, you know, if, if you're not going to be able to contend uh, and be a, a team that's spending along with the Yankees and the Red Sox, you're going to have to dominate as far as being better at developing your own players. But so many of today's great players are Latin. And when the Orioles were by far uh, last in baseball in, uh, in investment in Latin America, there was no way that they could, because 30, 40% of the league is coming from uh, that artery of talent. You know, there's no way that in the long term that if you're only playing uh, with six out of 10 cards, let's say, uh, and then you're unable to win the free agent game, uh, how are you going to compete? So it, it's exciting now. There's so much work to be done. And some of the work 
in what the Orioles are doing in Latin America uh, goes beyond what we say. You know, I just talked, we have an intern here with the Bay Sox, uh, an assistant that um, that actually used to work for uh, in, for Major League Baseball in, in the Dominican Academies. He said the Orioles Academy was the only one out of 30 that did not have air conditioning. Wow. I mean, can you imagine no air conditioning uh, in the Dominican? My, so even even just spending the money, Paul, to rebuild and, and create a beautiful new academy. I mean, the Orioles, in essence, did that uh, in Sarasota. I mean, their facilities used to be so dire 10 years ago. And now what they have down there, it, it's really fantastic. So, you know, the investment goes even beyond some of the ways that us as, you know, as people that follow and root for the Orioles daily uh, would even think of. Uh, but uh, to be able to recruit and then bring in and develop uh, guys that can become uh, these top players. I mean, you know, just just look at these guys that, that right now, the Yankees and the Red Sox. I mean, you got a guy like a Xander Bogarts and, you know, for the Yankees, a, a Glebar Torres and uh, a Gary Sanchez. I mean, these are the type of players the Orioles were not bringing into their organization. So, so this is what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to win. It's not necessarily the Tampa Bay Rays per se, but they're going to have to outdevelop uh, other organizations build a very deep pipeline and they're probably not going to be a team that's ever trading away the farm uh, for uh, for guys because uh, the key for the Orioles to have sustained success is to have an outstanding sustained farm system. It's funny because if you think back to the great era of Oriole baseball prior to our time in the 60s and 70s, that's what the Oriole way was. It just seemed like they were always bringing up outstanding young players. And I think that's um, why Michael Elias was brought in because he has a scouting background and uh, Sigma Dell and everything to be able to uh, try to create this system. Uh, but obviously it's not a quick fix. Uh, the Oriole farm system has taken a major leap as far as the organizational rankings. Uh, and I think the Orioles are only a few years away from being a very competitive ball club. I mean, I think in 2021, uh, the Orioles are going to, I even think next year, the Orioles are going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think they're going to take a big jump, uh, but they'll still probably be, you know, a team with a losing record. But in 2021, uh, the Orioles will start to be a team that is a much more competitive ball club. And, and, and then you're starting to build towards something. And, and the goal is, though, uh, that you don't have, you know, a three to five year window overall. But in essence, you're able to build an organization along the lines of like the Cardinals or, you know, something of that nature where uh, obviously uh, you're, you're competitive year in and you're out. Yeah, man, I like that you mentioned 2021 because people always ask me, when do I think that the Orioles are going to return to competitive baseball? And I keep saying 2021. Now, a lot of analysts seem to think it's going to be 2023, 24, 25. But these guys aren't guys who are as close to the team as people like you and I are. And you see who they have coming up in the system. You see who's running the system. You see that the, that the farm system has leapt from 22 to 8 in the first four months of the first full year of the rebuild. And do I think that the Orioles are going to be in the playoffs contending for a World Series in 2021? Absolutely not. I think that's far-fetched. But I think that by 2021, you're going to see a team that's competing and that they might stay in that wild card hunt into August. And that's something that any Orioles fan can, would probably sign up for in blood considering how this rebuild started. Right. And let me, and, and the reason why I believe that is that the Orioles are in a position where by the end of the 2021 season, maybe even like halfway through 2022, you're looking at right now, 
15 arms in the minor leagues that are very, very interesting and, and that are starting pitchers. So, uh, you know, will three of them pan out? I mean, you know, you don't need 15 to pan out. And a lot of those guys, you know, some of these really good starting arms, uh, like a guy like Hunter Harvey, that's kind of transitioning to the bullpen. I mean, he might become a dynamic relief option. I mean, look at some of the really good uh, pitchers in Bowie over the last 15 years, Jim Johnson, Zach Britton. I mean, these guys have become all-star closers. Uh, so um, it, it's going to be really interesting to watch, but there's a depth of pitching in the organization right now. Uh, there's also a lot of outfielders in the organization, mostly at the higher levels. Uh, Mount Castle's probably the first baseman of the future for the Orioles. Uh, and uh, they're a little bit lean as far as other infield talent. But the reality is that uh, once you bring up a, a core of young players that are probably uh, going to be uh, to Baltimore in 20 and 21, uh, what's going to happen is that's when the Orioles will start spending you know, in free agency a little bit, I would say prior to that 21 season, and they'll start bringing in some guys to, to fill in the roster. And, and like you said, uh, even that year, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Orioles uh, are a team that, that can be right around a 500 team uh, in that season. Uh, I absolutely agree, and I think that gives fans a lot to look forward to moving forward. Hey, Adam, really great stuff, man. I appreciate you doing almost a half an hour with us today, uh, twice as long as, as you had wanted. But, hey, man, you get going, it's awesome. So we really appreciate it. I'm really, really happy to be, to be on. So thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for, doing it, for coming on. We were happy to have you. And hopefully we get to talk to you again real soon, again real soon, man, okay? Thanks for coming on. Have a great day. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Take care, buddy. And that's going to do it for us here on the Payoff Pitch. Once again, I want to thank our guest Adam Pohl, the director of broadcasting and the longest tenured broadcasting minor league broadcaster in the Orioles franchise for coming on the show. Once again, thanks to Adam Pohl. And as always, go O's. We'll see you next week.